I think it has to be around teaching. I think it has to be a commitment to teach these principles to more people, especially in their formative years, to get more involved with younger people that are emerging as leaders Mm -hmm. and make sure that these principles are understood at an earlier stage in careers as opposed to later in life. Now is the time. You're invited to join us, a movement of leaders who are willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold a minute. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale. And these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take this up a notch or two or a whole lot more. With a curiosity, let's dig deeper behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. Come join us. I'm so excited today because I got to meet this amazing man. I'm not even sure when I got to meet you the first time, but I was so inspired, not because so much of what he has done in this world, I think it's amazing, but just how humble and the heart and soul behind who I've got to have at the table today to have a conversation. So who are you and what do you do in life? (laughs) Well, my name is Steve Felice and I live in Austin, Texas. And for most of my career, I was doing, you know, the kind of traditional working for companies. I've had the opportunity to run a number of businesses as a CEO and I've worked for small companies, big companies. Probably the thing that most people know about me in Austin was that at one time I was the president of Dell Inc. It was a terrific job. Now I work part-time. I serve on boards. I invest in companies. I spend time with some interesting causes like EBW 2020, which is all about you know inspiring and empowering women to run their own businesses and uh, be successful. So I spend time doing a lot of mentoring there. We have a foundation. I spend time on that. So I'm quite busy, but doing a variety of things now. I love that. And one of the reasons I don't even say your name and what you're about is what is interesting is just because you've been doing things and been in places, that doesn't really always define who you are and where you are now. And Steve, I'm I think there's so much goodness that we can have a conversation around today, but you know, why such a heart to be in a serving role this day when you've done a lot of, you know, running companies, being involved in companies and things like that. Why serve now? Like where's that come from? The funny thing is, is I just enjoy doing it. You know, I know there's a big movement on paying forward and giving back and, and I guess it's a form of that, but it, it never really crossed my mind. I just enjoy seeing things grow, seeing people get better. I like to help. Yeah. So the main reason I do it is because I enjoy it. I probably could do more professionally or even make more money doing things, but yeah. it's, there's a point in life where I feel like, you know, don't really need mo- any more money. It's more about you know, just fulfilling things that you like to do. So that's really the main reason is because I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I love that. So have you always been like this? Like as a young boy, did you know you were going to, you know, go about doing this in life? Or has this, you know, been a journey in whatever you've done in the past? I think it's a journey. I mean, as a child, I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I I always felt that I was ambitious I remember as a child, I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. And I think that's because I had a a very special uncle who was a doctor and I admired him, but I wasn't really sure. And even the advice I give most people today is you almost shouldn't try to plan too far in advance because it's impossible to really predict the people that you're going to meet, the experiences you have and where it takes you. 
And so what I ended up doing, I would say I had no prediction I was going to do the things I did. They just happen by the interactions that I have and the choices that you make as you go through life. Are we back? Yes, I think we are. Yes. Okay, good. We're back. So sorry, can you repeat that again? Which one? Why? You know, well, I guess the, the whole journey, let's go back to that. Like what you said, it's been a bit of a journey, you know, and like not to predict. And I think what is interesting from what you just said, even there is you said, don't, you know, don't plan so much ahead of time. And I think that's an interesting concept because I know a lot of people who say, let's plan and, you know, let's get some of those strategic things happening. And myself being a strategist, you know, I find it hard if, we are only planning a small bit ahead of time. So tell me more about that. Well, in my own personal experience, the, some of the interactions that I've had with people and some of the choices I've had to make, I would have never have predicted. And if I stuck with a plan, let's call it, yeah. I probably would have said no to a lot of things. And that would have been very limiting in my life. Some of the career changes I had came out of the blue. And I had to give them a lot of thought. And they were sort of uh, against where the path I thought I was headed. And so that's why what I mean by don't just be so quick to want to stay on a predetermined path. Life is crazy in that it it offers so many possibilities. But if you don't take advantage of them, you may just let them pass by. I love that. But how do you know when your yeses are yeses and noes are noes? A lot of it is your gut. A lot of it is being thoughtful and examining the possibilities and having an open mind. So I remember one time in my career, I was going down a path of really being in the finance world Mm. as a financial analyst, a treasurer, a CFO of companies. And then things changed because I was doing a lot of mergers and acquisition type activity and I had an opportunity to run a business. And my first thought about that was, well, you shouldn't do that. You don't know how to do that. And my first inclination was to shy away from it, but I gave it a lot of thought. And I said to myself, how many times in your life are you going to have this opportunity to try something different? Yes. Uh, And so I ended up doing that and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. But if I just stayed with the finance career, I would have never even gone down that path. So, you know, how did I get there? Well, I tried to have an open mind about it. I tried to be thoughtful and think about all the possibilities, think of the risk, the downside and the upside. And, you know, I I don't, I'm not suggesting that people should be rash with their decisions, but they really should not limit their opportunities. Yeah. I love that. I think there's just so much gold in that not limiting possibilities. But I love the fact that you do analyze things. You do look at it. You do look at the risks that it would be to to do that or make that decision. But one of the things that is interesting, and I think that if we look at what's happening across the world at the moment, there's this real conversation around, you know, gender and having more women or men at the table. And I think that it actually should be less about gender and just having the right humanity at the table to make those decisions. You were confident to be at some great tables and it got you to where you are now. Where did that confidence come from and how can more people, you know, step into that unknown, as you just said before? You know, confidence comes from preparation, in my opinion. So if you do, if you do the right work, to prepare yourself for things, you feel ready for them. It's funny because I often talk about this where I say, like, uh, I like to do sports. I like to play golf. And I'll say, you know, sometimes I go on the golf course and I lack confidence, hmm. and which is one of the worst things in sports. You know, you usually don't perform well if yeah. you're not And I would say to people, you know, if I was going to go into a hall with 5,000 people and give a speech, I feel totally comfortable doing that. And yet I feel uncomfortable hitting this little golf course. Yeah. (laughs) And, And I say the whole difference is preparation. I knew what my topic was if I go into speech and I knew the subject matter and the content and I practiced. And so I felt confident about it. Whereas, you know, when you're an amateur in sports, you don't really spend a lot of time practicing. 
So my whole view is if you prepare properly, it gives you a lot of confidence. There are certain people that have maybe what I'll call it a false sense of confidence. They come into a setting real cocky and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, once you get down to the second and third layer of questioning, yeah. you know, the truth <laughs> it, comes it out. It quickly unravels, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it so but does. I, I think people sometimes try to fake it, but you can't, yeah. can't really fake it if it goes deep. If it's a very surface level thing and you can get in and out, yeah, you can fake it. But if it's going to have a meaningful level of discussion or content, you have to be prepared. Yeah. So I get that. I get that totally. And I agree with everything you've said in that way, but here's a funny thought. Like here we are in a society where we need to be more innovative. There's a lot of things happening across the world. And I think that we have to be extremely innovative in the solutions we're now bringing to the table. If this is the case, then how do we do that if that's really unknown? Like, how do we go prepared into something that can be often very unknown ground? And, you know, that many people haven't gone before you because, you know, I think that if we continue things the same way that we have in the past, we're going to get the same results. And so we have to innovate new solutions. And I know that can kind of be a cliche at times. But it's a reality of where society is heading. And I think we have to do it quite quickly. If that's the case, how do we prepare if this time is of essence and we've got to be innovative? Well, preparation means a lot of different things. And I think a big mistake that individuals often make is they feel like they have to have all the answers. And I think that stifles innovation. So if you have a challenge which happens all the time and the world is presented with them. Mm. Part of preparation is understanding what your own limitations are and shoring them up. So I think many of us have learned over time that success mostly comes from collaboration, from having different points of view and from having a number of ideas flowing in. And so to the extent that you have a big challenge or a big aspiration that Mm -hmm. you feel strongly about, but you don't think that you have necessarily the knowledge yourself. It's all the more need to recruit great people to work with you. And to your point about gender, it has nothing to do with gender. It's about diverse thinking. And that Mm -hmm. that should come just by the law of numbers by a diverse group of people. So, you know, if 50% of the world are women, then you would think that 50% of the best ideas are probably going to come from women. So if you don't have any women in your team, it has nothing to do with whether or not I should force having a certain number of women. It's about, I want to have enough diverse opinions. I need to have women. I need to have people from other parts of the world. Mm. I need to have different points of view if I want to spur innovation. And so, you know, throughout my career, I always had very diverse teams and I, many times I didn't have the answer myself, but I knew if I built the right team, we would get to the right answer. Yeah. I love that. And I think that that's an interesting thing because you say diverse opinion and thinking at the table, but here's the thing. We are in a culture where we almost have to be like robots. That's very systemic and, and extremely, this is the way you should do it. This is the way it has been done. This is the way it should be doing it forward. If we have diverse people at the table, we are going to have people that we are not necessarily going to be agreeing with. So how do we get past that uncomfortable or the fact that we're probably not going to agree with most things at the table? Are there things that you've seen, some strategies that you've seen that have helped bring diversity as a united sort of collaborative solution going forward rather than lots of thinking at the table, lots of diverse thinking at the table? Have you then got it to something that's gone forward because people have got on the same page and gone, we're going to collaborate that way? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, these are very important jobs of good leaders. Yeah. You have to develop an alignment around what the end goal is. And that's actually, I think, one of the easiest parts of aspirations is getting people aligned on where you want to end up. And so, you know, if I had a group of people with diverse opinions around the room, the first place I always started was, what are we all striving to achieve? I was just talking to someone about this, about how if you start 
individually, or let's call it bottoms up, where you ask every individual what they want, that's where you're missing the boat and you start to form all this contention because the initial premise is wrong. So if you get everyone together and you start with what are we trying to solve and can we all agree that we want to achieve this or we think this would be great to do, once you get that alignment, then you can start to take these diverse opinions and point them back to the end state and see if they're leading you there. Because, you know, I like the healthy debate. I like the arguments. Me too. <laughs> great to have them. But ultimately, you have to get to a decision. And so really what I would try to do is take this debate and keep pointing it towards the end state. And that usually results in, in getting somewhere. It doesn't always. Sometimes there are really legitimate opposing points of view. And at some point, somebody has to make a decision. Yeah. And then the people that can decide whether they can support that or not, you know? Yeah. And so there are times in life where people leave a group because they can't support where the rest of the group wants to go. That's okay. Mm. You know, I, I would rather that than somebody sabotage something because yeah. they thought it wasn't the right thing to do. Mm, love that. So, you know, even going forward, if we look at say five, 10, even whatever, how many years, forward. I know you don't like doing too much. So let's do five years. Where do you see leadership having to think differently, having to innovate new solutions? Or like, do you think there's going to be a lot of changes going forward in the way that we run companies and the way that we, you know, having to continue to have economic growth? What's your thinking around all that? Well, I think there's going to have to be a different way of running things. I do believe that, you know, in my own personal belief, the more we get to collaborative ways of approaching things, the better we'll be. So there's still a lot of leadership in the world that's sort of, you know, by edict or by the genius in the room. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's always going to be some geniuses that are special people. And, but that's not the norm. That's unusual. And so, to model around that is wrong. To model around what is more likely to be the case are a bunch of people that together can come up with great ideas. But I think the real challenge today is this whole discussion around institutions operating to optimize the results of shareholders versus all the stakeholders in the world. So the fact is that in the past, as much as people would like to solve issues on climate change and social impact, mm -hmm. the CEO didn't really have the authority to just make that decision. It's really the shareholders of a public institution, let's yes. say, or an institution that has a broad base of owners. It was really their choice. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand that. They just think that a CEO can decide whatever they want. But mm. the CEO, in my opinion, said to its owners. Yes. Well, I can do all these things, but we're going to make, you know, 30% less profit and your share price is going to go down. Mm. I think most shareholders would say, no, I don't want yeah. to do that. That's not really yeah. the way I want it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But there is an answer here because there is a way, I believe, to, to meet all the constituents and still generate the proper returns. And that comes from creativity. I remember even a time at Dell Many, many years ago, Dell was at a, the forefront of doing environmentally right things. And one time we were attacking packaging, a very simple concept of, you know, putting computers in a box. And, but we decided that we were going to do this responsibly. Could we do this with recyclable materials? But could we also do it in a way that was good for the environment? And at the, mm. at the time, we came up with this answer that around bamboo packaging, we figured out a way to do it more cost-effective than the current method in an environmentally right way. Yeah. So we met all the goals and, didn't, and nobody got hurt from it. Sometimes people are a little too simplistic and they make everything black or white. So if mm -hmm. I'm going to do something right for the environment, then it's going to cost more. That's not necessarily the case. So this is where the creativity is going to have to come in is, okay, we want to meet other constituents' needs, but we also don't want to damage the institution. 
This is going to take creativity, breakthrough thinking. That's where we're going to have to start channeling a lot of ideas right now. And I would presume that some of that's going to be changing what the conversation is now happening in there, but it has to come to people getting it as part of their culture in their company or organization. So how do you change what has been so ingrained in an organization to then going, hey, we're going to think more creative now? Well, it starts at the top always, and the leader has to change their thinking first and foremost, and people have to see it in action. So you can't By the just way, before you say anything else, I'm so happy you say this because I'm hearing it so many times where people are saying, hey, the leader doesn't have to. And it's like, yes, I believe so much that the leader has to, and that you know, in a lot of ways, what is happening with leadership is it's become a certain way and people are not wanting to be leaders, not wanting to take ownership in leadership and responsibility for, you know, changes to happen. So I love hearing you say that. So sorry for interrupting, but I just had one of those exciting, you know, exciting moments where you go, <laughs> yes, <laughs> someone gets it, that it has to change at leadership. Well, everything really starts at the top in my view. And, and I always tell people that there's one leadership principle. There, there can be, you know, dozens of leadership principles that people talk about. But I said, you know, if you really had to narrow it down to one, I would say it's shadow of the leader. Yeah. You should behave the way you want people to behave. Love that. If you want to have respect in the organization, then you can't go around ranting and yelling and screaming at people. You have to treat them with respect. If you want integrity, then you can't do anything that crosses any gray areas. You have to do everything the right way. If you want creativity, you have to foster creativity. You can't just order people to be creative. So I think if the leader really embraces it and behaves that way themselves, it will trickle its way down in the organization. But it, it takes more than that. It takes a lot of active communication because, mm. you know, great ideas can be stifled immediately by that, yeah. that frontline supervisor that's managing the person every day mm -hmm. who can say, and, you know, after a great town hall by the leader could say, you know, I know he's, he or she said all that, but that's not what we're going to do. And that person who's getting paid by their boss and, driven to the task by their boss is going to listen to that boss yeah. and be very depressed about the whole thing and maybe even quit someday, but it won't mm -hmm. work. So, you know, the leader has to make sure that the communication is consistent, it's pervasive, and it's got to be relentless, you know? And, and so it has to, that those themes have to be constantly reminded of people and then the actions have to reflect the way the leader thinks. Yeah, I love that. I love once you've got the leader on board and the, they've then got to model that. I'm such a true believer of that and anything that I do that I actually don't teach anyone or train anyone or whatever it is with anyone unless I'm willing to do it myself. And I'm always asking that question, is there anything I'm not willing to do? And I remember even to the point that I was heading off to Tahiti and I was just there. It was actually a time, uh, just uh, about 10 days with my husband and we were literally just going off the grid and strategizing for what was next in one of the companies that I run and he's the face of. And, you know, what was, I brought that question up one night in my head. I go, what is it that I'm not willing to do so that I can get to my next lead, you know, step or level as a leader? And you know the thing that I came up with? I'm not willing to go out there and swim with sharks. It has <laughs> always been a fear of mine. And because sharks are, you know, you've heard these stories around them, you get these fears around it. And a lot of it is perceived fear. It's not actually real fear. And I know there are moments that it's an actual fear and you've got some reason to that. But I'm like, if I was, you know, willing to jump in with sharks, what would that mean for me on the business sense in a, you know, out in the world as a CEO? And I realized that it would mean that there would be going to new levels because I had done something that had taken me beyond what I thought was one of my fears. So what did I do? I jumped in with a whole lot of sharks and not in a cage, but in like literally with sharks. And, and you know, most of them are the reef sharks, so they're okay. 
But even though they were okay, they look pretty scary when there's all these fins looking at you. But there were a couple of lemon sharks, which are meant to be pretty scary sharks. But I loved it because it pushed me beyond what I thought was my capacity as a human being to be able to do. And I think as leaders that we need to continue to push ourselves beyond that capacity. But here's the thing. What you're saying is unreal. Like, let's be creative and, and think, you know, innovative ways to bring solutions. I love that. But it often can be very, I mean, it's so new to a CEO. It's so new to a leader. I've never done it that way. I don't know how to do that. And so it can be quite scary. And in the same way, what I do across the world, where I bring this almost complex idea of, I want to see in organizations and businesses, companies, organizations, I want to see a culture that is 100% for humanity. That is my big audacious goal, right? Now, that is great, except people go, well, how do we do that? How do we even make the first step? So here's the first step in what I'm doing in that way. I'm saying, okay, I see it. And I know that you want to do this. But what's one thing that you can do that can shift the dial forward by 1%? Because imagine if everyone was doing their 1%. How would that change what's happening in organizations, right? So yeah. here's a big audacious thing, complex and many ideas and concepts, because you've got to change a lot of things that have been happening in the cultures of the organization. But what's the one thing that you could do to shift that dial? And so here, I'm going to throw that question out to you. What's one thing you could do to shift that dial forward to help people to be more creative in organizations, to, you know, like to think differently, to move beyond where they are at now? A slight disruption to the conversation. I have a question for you. Are you even a little curious to see how you can use your platform to change the conversation? To maybe design solution pathways where you have certainty and afford movement? Or truly do you want to increase your economic and cultural impact? Awesome human, if you want to lead, to pioneer a new approach, to role model what is possible and to leave sustainable footprints for the generations to come, then I would love for you to reach out to me and the team to see if we're the right fit to make this a reality for you. And if we're not, no hard feelings, as I know many awesome humans who may be the right one. Okay. I've included three ways in the show notes where you can begin a pathway with us on a journey to your next level. One, a strategy analysis. Two, the next growth incubator cycle. Three, a potential investment partnership. As founder and CEO of Decision Velocity Global, I'm all about building a sustainable, scalable growth ecosystem where humanity, like you, are stakeholders to design cutting-edge solution pathways and to narrow the gap from problem to solution. I want you to come on this journey with me and others and not to be left behind. There is a seat at the table for you. Okay. Let's get back to the conversation. Well, you know, I call that, I mean, what you just described, I talk about how you inspire people, mm. okay? Because I think too often inspiration is thought of as sort of a rah-rah type of thing and to get sure. everybody excited. But in reality, inspiration is helping people see how they can make a difference and how the cumulative effect of what everybody does adds up to something big. So I've used that sort of example like you did many, many times in terms of breaking a big goal into little pieces. So what I can do as a leader to get that 1% is to show everyone how their individual participation leads to a bigger thing. So a lot of times a leader will say, you know, we're going to have this big breakthrough goal and we're all going to achieve it and, and we're going to stay focused on it. But that's all they ever talk about. They never yeah. break it down. Okay. And so, and people can get excited, but they lose their mm -hmm. excitement at the time because they don't really understand their connection to it. Whereas what I really great inspiration is, is actually personalizing it 
and breaking it down into the little pieces as, as yeah. you're talking about. I mean, a very simple example is, let's say a company wants to grow their business mm -hmm. twice the rate of the market or three times or Perfect. triple the business, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a boring topic, but it's a real good example. So you want to triple your business. You know, I would say, do you realize that if your branch was to grow this particular product with these customers, yeah. then if everyone did what you just did, mm -hmm. we would be triple the size, you know, or if we were to enter this new market and just penetrate 5% of it, mm -hmm. then that would get us a third of our way there. You know, so making it real is what really I think gets people going on the stuff as opposed to always thinking of this mystical breakthrough aspiration. Yes. You know, that's what I call true inspiration. I call it showing them the way, mm. not telling them exactly how to get there. In no. fact, you don't want to tell people how to get there because you mm -hmm. want their creativity, but you want to show them that it's achievable, that this isn't just pie in the sky, that it can actually happen. Yes. And so to give concrete examples to people, that's what a good leader can do to get that 1% improvement. Yeah, I love that. That's so, that's, yeah, that's a beautiful way to take what I just said and just move it through. Such a great example. You know, it's interesting because if we go to what you just said then, I had the amazing experience that I was actually in closed doors. I was on Necker Island, so Richard Branson's private island, but I was on there with a lot of former presidents of countries and also with the son of so Martin Luther King's son, um, Martin Luther III, and some amazing global leaders. And, you know, what was interesting in it was the whole conversation was around forward thinking and with leadership and where it's going and what it was about. And, you know, I had to disrupt a little because I didn't agree with necessarily what the conclusion was. I agree that we all felt that in the room, if we continue where leadership is going, there's a lot of devastation, there's a lot of breakdowns, there's a lot of things that we don't like about it. We all agreed on that. What we didn't, like there was, it was almost like, okay, so these rules, regulations have come up and now we should make these new rules and regulations was kind of the outcome of the conversation. And I disagreed with it because I felt that if we are the next leaders that sit at that table in 10, 15, 50 years time, 100 years time, and looking back and going, why did they make up those as the rules and regulations to how leadership should be going and, and what that should look like? And so I actually said, I think it's more importantly, one thing we can agree at this table, even if we don't agree about everything that's at the table, we can agree that there's humans at this table and that humanity is really important going forward. And I said, what if we were to have different people at the tables, like we've talked about with agenda, different people at the table, and we used instead different lenses to ask questions at the table. What would that look like if we were to have a conversation? And then what would we come up with? Because then we're not putting our biases or conditionings into what should be the rules for leadership going forward, the rules for managers going forward, the rules for teams going forward. We are going, who's the right people at the table? here's the lenses we could use to ask questions at the table and you know like you said before get the right outcome and i think that this is the conversation that is you know changing and we need to change it and have it like this but it's a conversation that many people are going that sounds awfully scary because where's the boundaries where's the guidelines where's the structures what do you think about something like that well, you know, my view of the breakdown in the centralization of governments you know, mm. it is this whole concept of what needs to be achieved versus the how. And so, you know, what we just talked about, all the stuff we talked yeah. about, if you apply it to some of these social issues, for people in the middle of a huge population or a huge geography to sit in one center place and say, here's how we're going to do everything. 
I think is a big mistake. Yeah. The aspiration should come from these leaders. What do yes, we want to love that. end result do we want? Yeah. But then back to this whole creativity, it comes from the people that are closest to the problems. Mm-hmm. That's where I think you get the best answers. You know, if I just use an analogy with a company, mm. I used to believe that, I still do believe it, that the best answers come from the people closest to the customer. They see every day what that customer has to do with whatever you make or produce or provide as a service, whatever you do, that end customers who you're doing it for. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want your decision making to be closer to that end customer, even though you might have aspirations that come from the top? Mm-hmm. It's no different in, in all these social issues. And I know from my own experiences and some of the philanthropic endeavors I'm involved with, that the locally run ones get better results mm. consistently. And they spend less money doing it. And more of the funds goes to the cause itself yeah. as opposed to all the administration around it and, mm-hmm. all the, and all that stuff. So I really think the challenge for leaders in geographies and governments and big causes is yeah. to figure out how to unlock the potential of the people closest to the cause. Mm-hmm in a way that they come up with the answers and that these central organizations are enablers, not giving edicts about how things are done because that's where you stifle innovation, you stifle creativity. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's the whole basis to the work that I do, which is, you know, looking at what are the decisions being made at the top decision tables and then going and the culture that we're creating there and, how, you know, what is the voice needed at the front line of humanity? And how do we segue those two things together? Because here we are, these amazing, you know, on the forefront of a lot of, you know, changes and innovations across the world, whether it's in AI, whether it's in, you know, the economic growth of what's happening across the globe, whether it's in government leadership and things like that. Yet, Many times when I've had these conversations at top decision tables, they're not even thinking about what they're creating, you know, is actually going to affect what's happening on, you know, how that affects going to happen on the forefront of or the front line of humanity. And not only that, but it's the effect that it has, not just in the short term, but the long term, so the sustainable side of it. And that scares me when I think of so many decisions being made at these top decision tables, you know, and what is actually needing and how we segue that. And so if we need to be moving towards more what you're saying in that way, how do we get more of the top decision tables thinking this way, going that it's, you know, bringing the awareness, because I think it has to start with awareness, you know, like the reasons I'm having these conversations is I don't even know where these conversations go, but I just know that we need to have these safe spaces where we can have conversations. We may not all agree on everything that's brought to the table, but we need to be able to be aware of it and ask these questions. So how do we do that in organizations? How do we get more CEOs on the page of this thinking? Well, I mean, a lot of it starts with the motivation of the CEO in the first place. And so I think, you know, the burden of this falls on the boards and the owners to make sure that they have leaders that are aligned with these visions. And I mean, that's the most important thing, because yeah. if you're not starting with someone who genuinely is interested in solving these problems or attacking these issues, then it's never going to work. So I think it starts there. And then, and then I think boards... And owners have to hold the leaders accountable for implementing these things. So it's like anything. Once you have a goal in mind, do you then break it down into what are the milestones? What are the accomplishments? What are the timetables? What are the measurements for these things? And there has to be integrity in that process. And if it's not being achieved, Mm -hmm. then whoever's responsible has to demonstrate they're capable of correcting that or a change has to happen. Yeah. 
So I think we've gotten into a world where rhetoric has become more important than actual data and measurements. And people start to evaluate success based on sentiment as opposed to results. Yeah. And so, you know, this is where we have to hold leaders accountable. And yeah. in a corporation, it should be the board, it should be the owners. In in the world, it should be mm-hmm. voters and, mm-hmm. you know, the people that fund these things. Yes. It's very difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. But social media makes this much more difficult mm-hmm. because every voice is treated equally. Yeah. And there are many, many people who don't have facts, don't have, mm-hmm. you know, just expressing an opinion that may not be right at all, but it's counted as equal as anybody else's opinion. And there's a downside to that. I mean, of course we want all kinds of opinions, but the opinions need to be based in fact. And how you parse through that is a really difficult task. Mm-hmm. And I think good leaders are going to have to learn how to take sentiment from social media, but then go test it and determine if it's fact-based and not just make decisions based on anecdotal impressions of things. Mm-hmm. Have you got an example of where you've done this yourself? Sure. I mean, I would say that, you know, I've been involved in a lot of e-commerce mm-hmm. and testing. I mean, it's, e-commerce is a great example of this because if you just listen to all the feedback and don't test it, it would guide you in a totally different way. So I can tell you many times there's been feedback on products, services, the way somebody behaves. And then what we would go do is say, okay, we're going to go set up tests because Mm -hmm. you get so easy to do using, you know, e-commerce sites because I can try one thing one day and if it doesn't work, I can stop. Mm -hmm. But we would take all these ideas and go test them Mm. and see which ones actually took. Yeah, I love that. And that's a bit harder on social issues, but I don't think it's that hard. I mean, because you think about all the I think you have to do the same principles that you do there in social issues. I don't think that it's one or the other. Right, Um, and you have all these opportunities in communities to go mm -hmm. test ideas. Yeah. I think the real mistake here is people hear a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden there's a new, you know, countrywide initiative that hasn't even been tested. Yeah. And then it falls apart. It might have even had great, you know, uh, intentions. And, but to not test them in a smaller environment and find out what the issues are it is really a big mistake. And today, it's so easy to do testing. And people just skip it because they want a quick answer. And it, it results in a failed experiment, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? That we live in a microwave world where everything needs to be done this way and quick and have the most likes and the most followers and the most whatever it is, you know, out there in the world. Well, it's sort of a shame that we condition people that everything can have uh, an instant causation. Yeah. And so there are certain things that just take a while to happen. You know, even just economic growth. You talk about, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to see the economy grow. So I'm going to do this and this. And then somebody says, oh, next mm-hmm. month did the economy grow. Well, yeah. some of these things take six months, a year, you know, wage growth. Some of this stuff takes a while. It just doesn't happen automatically. You know, like institutions, yeah. just to, I've been observing this past year where unemployment's been very, very low in the United States, mm. right? And so it's hard to find talent for jobs. Yes, right. But companies have profit models, and so they resist raising wages to attract more people because they're not sure if it's the right answer. Mm. And I say, just wait, because when companies tell me, well, I'm having a hard time attracting talent, I say, well, then then you have to raise your wages. Yeah. That's the way supply-demand works. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in the very beginning, you didn't see any wage growth because people were resisting that. Yes. In the last two, three quarters, seen very healthy wage mm. growth because people finally had to give into this concept. And so you see, you see wages growing to attract yeah. talent, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't going to happen in one month. It's taking yeah. like a year to happen. And unfortunately, 
people are preached to like these things will have instant effect. Yeah. And so everyone thinks that every problem should be solved in a matter of weeks and days and months when they don't. And that, I think that's a very sad thing because some things need to take time to get set in place. You know, this is so healthy to hear this because I don't think we hear this enough. And there is, you know, some people think, wow, that's amazing what they're doing right now. And yet it's been years and years of work behind the scenes to get often to that stage. But here's the thing, right? Like everyone, you know, we might know this, but we are living in a world that is changing and we've got to pivot pretty quickly. So how does that work if this is, what we like i so believe what you're saying is true and it's so healthy because i mean i know that in my own world that there's just been so many things that i've had to work very you know test to measure test to measure is one of my things that i've had to do a lot because i am trying to innovate new solutions to the table and yet we are in a world that is pivoting very quickly and if you don't pivot quickly you can often miss those opportunities is this a true thing or is this, you know, and if we go by what you just said, how does that work with that sort of concept? Well, it should work by properly setting expectations in the first place. The complication that I, I see, that. Mm. complication I see is that the people that are responsible for these things, they're, let's talk about political positions. Mm. Cause a lot of this is done in government. And often the time frame that it takes to solve something doesn't match the time frame of the person mm -hmm. in office, right? Mm -hmm. So immediately there's an out of sync there. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the greatest innovation and change I think has to happen in, mm. in government in how, I agree. <laughs> how do I properly explain to my constituents how things are going to get done? How can mm -hmm. I be held accountable for it? in a way that we do it the right way, not in a way that alters perception, but not reality. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have the answer for that, but I, I really believe that it needs to be attacked. And it has to be done in a way where you're allowed to set expectations to people, measure against those expectations, provide updates, and have it be done in a fact-based way. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be hard because everyone wants to attack everything based on their political point of view mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily use facts. And a good leader, let's say even in politics, a good leader is going to have to figure out a way to deal with that, yeah. not just give into it. Wow. I love all this conversation. We could talk for hours and hours and it's amazing. Like, thank you so much for being so honest in that way. If you were leaving like, you know, your legacy to the world, what is it you want to be remembered by? What is it you want people to think this is what Steve Felice stood for? Yeah. What would that look like? Well, you know, I, I was always conscious about this in my whole professional career. Mm -hmm. And that's that, you know, I wanted to be known as someone that helped, helped people improve, helped them get better, helped institutions excel yeah but in a way that that was fun was respected was fair mm -hmm. you know that didn't have a lot of collateral damage that had you know we got somewhere and we did it the right way yeah, and yeah. i always felt that if you know i always wanted to be known as uh, tough but fair mm -hmm. you know and Someone that people that, you know, would respect the way I, I went about things. So getting a good result, helping people, but doing it the right way. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so after our conversation today, what is the one thing that you're going to do then to shift the dial forward to be able to leave that as your legacy going forward? What's one thing you're going to do now? After our conversation, what we've talked about, what's the one thing you're going to do? Wow, that's kind of a tough question. I think it's an important question because here's the thing. When we grow awareness around things, awareness is great. Oh, that's fantastic what Steve and Kerry Murray said. But if we don't change, if we don't take responsibility for some of the conversation that we're having, then we are just going to see things continue the same way. So it's the question I ask because, you know, all the time, I want to know that when I've had a conversation What's the thing I'm going to do? What's the thing that's going to 
you know, that that's helped me to look at something differently or think a different way or innovate, like you say, in creative ways. So if that is your legacy that you want to bring to the table, then what's the one thing you're going to do to shift that well, forward? I think it has, forward, think it has to be thing. around teaching. I think it has to be around teaching. I think it has to be a, a commitment to teach these principles to more people, especially in their formative years, you know, to get more yeah. involved with, younger people that are emerging as leaders mm -hmm. and make sure that these principles are understood at an earlier stage in careers as opposed to, you know, later in life, like when I figured them out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, so by the next time we talk, how will I know or how will, more importantly, how will you know that you've moved it and you've, you're doing this more and what you're doing? Well, I can measure the number of interactions I'm having with people. And so is that by really per week, per examples. month? What would that look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it would be, you know, how many engagements am I having where I would call them teaching moments, mm. you know, in a month? I love and, that. So what would be the goal that you would aim for? A few a week. A you few. Know? So would, are we saying three? Are we saying five? We are, we are nailing say, this down. I would say three. I would say three. three. So let's say, let's say uh, 10 to 15 a month. There we go. So everyone has heard that. We are going to hold you accountable for okay. that. We That's are going to watch how that unfolds and learn from that. I love it. All right. So have you got anything you want to add to this conversation today? It's been such a privilege to have you here to learn some of the insights that you have seen and do and think. What about you? Is there anything that you've not been able to, to say here and you'd love to leave as final words? Well, the only thing I would say that was going through my mind when we were talking about this is that people have to think in a very breakthrough way. No matter what you do in any career, if you're not thinking about breakthrough change and you're only thinking about maintaining the way things are or incremental change, I don't think you'll ever reach your own personal goals and I don't think it's a significant enough contribution. Yeah. So I'd say everything you do, approach it with, how can I make this significantly better? And I think if you start with that point, that will drive all this other stuff we've talked about, how to build aspirational thinking, how to get diversity in thinking, how to get it down to everyone in the organization. It starts with, I've got to do something much better than the way it's being done today. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think we covered quite a bit of ground on this conversation today. So thank you. And thank you. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Sure thing. It was a great conversation. Thanks. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, leave awesome ratings and reviews. Our hope is that this product creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change, to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, join us at our next Global Human Intelligence Forum and get your free ticket for you, plus one, to give to someone you know who will add value. When you sign up for the two-hour Zoom, Blaze a trail, shift the dial forward. Both links are in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders. Let's achieve this together. Recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, pioneers, future thinkers, and movement changers. Big love. Plus, I can't wait to see you on the next Global Human Intelligence Podcast.